We are going to be uh, summarizing the book of First Thessalonians today. We have been uh, exploring it for January and February and into now the end of March. And we've looked all through the book and found many of its themes. And what I'd like to do is explore it a little bit more as in a summary sense today and see what God has taught all of us, what God has revealed. And if you're uh, visiting along with us today and you haven't been part of our journey through Thessalonians up till now, that's fine. Feel free to listen in or, uh, or, or dig into the book yourself now as we look at it. And I, I have a few thoughts, but what I'm more interested in today is what has God been teaching us through this book? Because when we open the Bible and when we read it together and when we study it, the point isn't to say, well, you know what? I've been part of this church for a while and we never did Thessalonians. Now we've done Thessalonians, so it's ticked off my list of Bible books we've done. You know, that's not, the point isn't to tick something off the list. The point is to hear God speak through the different parts of his word as we teach and preach it and learn together. This is a learning community. This is not a place where we just come to hear a lesson. This is a place where we learn together and teach one another and, uh, and, and hopefully reveal God, reveal Jesus more to one another. So that's my, if you like, introduction to what I'm hoping we can achieve today. Um, and I've titled, if you like, this collective lesson for us today, Faith, Love, and Hope, because that frames the beginning and the end of the book of Thessalonians. In chapter 1, we always thank God for all of you, continually mentioning you in our prayers, we remember, this is Paul writing how much later than when he was there? What, how, what time yeah. gap? One year? So he's writing a year later. Ira, he says, I remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he remembers of them. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing if, if any of us had to leave Please don't. I want to keep all of you. Uh, no transfers allowed. Um, so, but let's say you have to go and you're gone for a year and you write a letter back to this congregation. Wouldn't it be lovely to be able to write with all sincerity to say, you know what I remember about you, Watford Church, when I was with you? It's a year ago. I remember your faith, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. I don't think there could be any greater accolades for a congregation, perhaps, than for that to be something that could be said. And then at the end of the letter, in chapter 5, he returns to that, those three words, that, those phrases there, uh, or those words. We belong to today. Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, protection, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, love, and hope. So it's something that uh, it's something that characterized that church in Thessalonica, but it's also something he wanted them to make sure they, they maintained and continued because he says to them, that's who you are. That's what you're like. But you do need to remember, you've got to put on that faith and love. You've got to put on that hope. It's a decision. So there's something for them to grow in. And you know where we are, right? That's where we are. The T stands for Thessalonica. The P stands for Philippi. The B stands for Berea. The A Athens and the sea, Corinth. So that's the work that Paul did in that theater, if you like, in that area. And Thessalonica is the place he went to after Philippi, and he went on to Berea after that, and then further south. He's writing this letter probably from Corinth. It could be Athens, but he's writing from the south there. Okay, so 
I, I want to stop for a minute and just say, or ask, what are some of the things that you feel God has shown you, revealed to you, taught you, helped you with? So what has God been revealing? And, and you, it can be three words, okay? You don't have to give us a dissertation here, all right? And please, actually, please don't. Um, so short, you know, but uh, something that's meaningful to you. Uh, I think at the beginning when we were talking about friendships, and this was spiritual, remembering people in bread, remembering friends and that sort of stuff, that, that made quite an impact on me. I, I've got a little list of old friends on my computer monitor at home now. Just, uh, list of old friends. Just keep, keeping old friends in mind, praying for them, just like Paul prayed for it, is a theme, isn't it, in, in the book? Praying for his friends back in Thessalonica. Kate? Um, last week, um, just a particular scripture that about preaching the Holy Spirit, mm. Going to study that. You started. When are you going to come and present on it? <laughs> no, but it's such an important thing. You know what? It's a, it's a simple phrase. Do not quench the spirit in chapter five, verse nineteen. But it's profound. It must be. Paul put it there for a reason. So. It's inspired you to do some study. That's a great thing. Excellent. Okay. So on. Um, I always find the first person of the quite nice, and it always represents the faith of the church and how long ago it was, and how even though Paul was only there, they were equal to not for very long. Maybe three weeks. He, he was okay. In for a very short period of time, the church stood the test of time. Then I know it is very difficult as a young disciple to be in a group and get support, and then all of a sudden, no, yeah, no, figure it out for yourself. It's like it's quite hard. So it's like very great to see that that's what you did so well. It did so well with such little um, teaching of just three weeks. You know, mm -hmm. it's inspiring. You don't have to be, you don't have to be resourced fully to, to, to be okay as a Christian. You've got God. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Victor. Um, for me, it's, 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 if I was bored, recruiting myself now, mm -hmm. and I'd be in the place for just three weeks, and I'll see them for a month, I'd just give up on them. <laughs> and he didn't. He didn't. And, and that says more about me and my faith and my belief and my commitment. I think that. That period of that, three weeks and 12 months, it just keeps reading my head and it keeps examining who I am and who I am. Because I compare myself to him. There's so many things he did. He said that 100%. I would have just given up three weeks. He's too short in my opinion, but it works. He continues to be faithful. And as, as my sister just said, for someone to disorder. So that, that is what he did for me. I mean, he examined myself. Mm. Yeah, he didn't just sort of abandon them to their fate and forget about them. Mm -hmm. He kept them in his heart, even though it was a short time to build those relationships. Okay, yeah, Dan. So read this bit first. It says, uh, For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God in your you for all good joy in heart, in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply with blocking. I think, for me, Paul really, and this whole book is demonstrating how amazing it is for other Christians, and how joy giving that is. Mm. 
because it is the most joyful thing, knowing that you're changing or helping to change the eternal destiny of that person. Yeah. And there's nothing more soul uplifting than seeing someone's life to change because of the message. Yeah. And it's like almost Paul was almost called, called out himself as to how um, powerful the message is. Mm. That stuck with them because of God, because of the message, not because of him. And he's anxious for a year, and obviously you have further news that they're faithful. But you just give it the best joy. Um, and mm. I think we forget that. Helping make disciples, helping God on the mission, it's, it's just so joyful for us. It, it's such a joy. Yeah. yeah. Well, he worked night and day. Yeah. Right. So the effort in helping someone to come to Christ was huge. Yeah. But it brought him joy. Yes. Good reminder. Mm. Okay. Other thoughts? Benny? Yeah. Um, we like, uh, Paul, when he uh, tried to share his, uh, his joy, you know, I mean, longing to see the Thessalonians, you know, that, that there is a difference between long distance and that boldness, that fellowship. You know, he was praying and longing, and Satan knew. Not taking the ability to fellowship together physically, not taking that for granted. It pained Paul greatly. He couldn't go and see them. He was encouraged by their faith, but he, it just distressed him so much. Um, and we can take our fellowship for granted. It's true, isn't it? Okay. Uh, what else? Spiritual leaders. Praying for our spiritual leaders. Okay. Yeah, well, well chapter 5, he talks about loving your leaders, agapeing them. Mm. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, just at the very beginning, you talked about, you shared about how, when you read Thessalonians, verses 1 to 10, how many times Paul refers to how God focused they were. Mm. And, uh, and we talk, I think we talked about what does it mean to be God focused for us, for us today. And um, I can't remember what comment somebody made, or, but I took it away about, you know, for being God focused is for me, meant those micro moments during the day, not necessarily at church or you know, where things are going back. But those micro moments in the day when I want to encounter that is what, how I respond at those times shows how God focused I am. And, and mm. just that, and that thought process has stayed with me a lot. And I can see, I to see times when I'm not God focused, but also times when I have to take a step back and think, actually, how do I respond to this? You know, how do I respond to that comment? And, and it's a growing thing. But yeah, that, 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 that should help me a lot. Because trying to be God focused throughout the day for a that's a really good point about being God-focused. I think the phrase I, I talk about with myself is God-aware. 
am I aware he's with me all the time? Yeah. Any more? For any more? Um, it's nice that we Paul gives us an insight on how to approach what must have been non-Christians when he says, well, we never came with words of flattery. <laughs> yes. Nor did we seek glory that we could have made the mark of the prophet of Christ. And it doesn't, you obviously, that, that's not the, you know, the way he's doing it is humility. And um, you know that gets results. That's the best way to approach you know, talking about converting people or bringing them to the church. It's a way to um, let them know how much you care. That's a great point. I think that's critical, isn't it? Because what's the old saying? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care or something like that. And it's a bit like that here with Paul, isn't it? He, he's, he sees himself as an evangelist, you could say, but as an evangelist coming to serve the people and to get to know them and, and work for, on their behalf. Great point. Anybody else? Or I'll do a, I'll make a couple of points and we'll take communion. See, I love this because there's so much wisdom in this room. I like to come to church not just to teach, but to learn something, you know. It's fun. Okay. All right, I'll wrap up with a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first refers to what Akin was talking about. In chapter 1, in those 10 verses, there are 15 references to the Godhead. In other words, Jesus, God, Father, Lord, all those words, 15 times. And in the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, of 89 verses, there are 89 verses, not a long book, there are 97 references to the Godhead. So it shows us that God's, that Paul's focus, if you like, or his awareness, was although he wanted to help the church in Thessalonica, it's about God. And this is a good, this is really helpful for us on lots of different levels, but maybe I'll mention a few. Number one, our conversations can contain anything in fellowship and in chatting to one another. It's, there's no problem in talking about whatever we want to talk about in, in our friendships here. But if we're not talking about God with one another, then something's out of balance, isn't it? And it's not that there's a ratio, like it has to be 97 to 87 or, in terms of, or something. It's not about that. But it's about letting God really truly permeate who we are uh, personally and as a fellowship. So talking about God with one another is something that I think is characteristic of people who understand what Paul's getting at here. Um, I think the other thing is to remember that when we read the Bible and study it and teach it, we are teaching about God. We're not primarily teaching for ourselves or, or for a person. We're not primarily teaching about people. people some, some people approach the Bible as an instructional handbook for life. Or more particularly, what, how, how can I find out how to get saved? But that's a very modern and westernized view of the way of thinking about Scripture. No one thought that way in the first probably 15, 16, 1700 years of Christianity. It's a very modern thing. And in particular, it became much more a thing, I'd say, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in, a, in the last century of Jesus is my personal savior. Now, he is. I'm not denying that. But that idea of I read the Bible so I can get stuff from God is not what the Bible's for. The Bible is to teach us about God. The Bible is there to reveal God. The Bible is there through Jesus especially to show us who God is and what he is like. And if we grasp that and get that, we will be transformed. Certainly we do need God and certainly we need Jesus. We need some instruction. But you'll notice that even in a letter written to a church that needed instruction, for sure it needed it, and it, there was instruction in it, the real focus is God. 
And that's how we need to be. It's how it's right to be. It's how it's healthy to be. If you look at a passage like this in chapter 2, here is some uh, record of what Paul and his companions did. We dare to tell you, we speak as those approved. But what is the focus of all of this activity? If I put uh, an underline and in bold there, some phrases, Paul and his companions were very busy daring and speaking and trying and asserting and delighting and working and preaching and, and being blameless and encouraging, comforting and urging. They're very, they're very busy, right? So being a Christian, Christians are busy people, I think, in the kingdom, right? That's part of how we live. But if you look at it from another angle, underlining these words, we see it's still God is the focus. It's with the help of God we dare to tell you. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We were not trying to please people, but God. God is our witness. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority uh, to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. While we preach the gospel of God to you, and so is God, uh, your witnesses, and so is God. Uh, we're urging you to live lives worthy of God. And you see, you can read that passage with a view on oh, what were they doing and what does it mean for me? Or you can read the passages to what's this telling me about God and then figure out what that means for us. So we've always... We've always got to start with God. And I'd encourage you as you do your own personal Bible study, as you're reading any passage, to ask yourself first, what is this passage telling me about God way before we get to the next part of how does this apply to me? And that's something that struck me a lot through, uh, through this, uh, through the study of First Thessalonians. Uh, prayer, uh, somebody's already mentioned, I won't emphasize that so much now, but there's a lot about prayer. Uh, but we'll come back to that another time. A lot about love. Um, it's a great book to teach us about how to love one another with a deep and abiding love. Um, love's motivation. Somebody mentioned this earlier. Uh, the motives are right. They are part of, Paul was doing what he did out of love for the people there, not out of approval um, for what he was going to get back or to be famous or liked, but he was doing it because uh, he wanted to please God. That's the right motivation for us, to love one another. We don't love one another so that we get loved back. We don't come to church so that we get loved. Prayerfully, I really do hope you feel loved and get loved. That should happen. But we don't come for that reason. We are part of the fellowship to love because it pleases God. When we struggle to love people, then, then grasping that motivation from God makes all the difference. Love's attitude. So we were like young children among you. Very humble. He says, well, we were like a nursing mother, that skin tight thing. We were like a loving father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. Uh, I think I showed you this before, my niece Freya, uh, you know, it's, she's just a little baby, uh, very cool. Uh, prayerfully, we'll have a grandchild of our own in August. Pray for Lydia as she uh, carries, hopefully, our first of 27 grandchildren. Um, <laughs> uh, she doesn't know this plan yet, but don't worry. Uh, um, uh, and, oh yes, there's, there's uh, what we hope and pray will be a healthy baby come August. But, you know, my niece Emma is the nursing mother, and uh, you know, there's a great bond there. There's that skin tightness. And my father that many of you met, uh, 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 you know, that, that father, that loving father figure is what Paul was like with the church in Thessalonica. You should be seeing him soon. We're taking him on holiday in May. Uh, it'll be his first holiday for five years. Um, and, uh, you know, two years after the death of my mother as well. So we're going to take him on holiday, but he's going to come stay with us for the weekend, and he should be here on the Sunday uh, before we go off on holiday. So... Uh, you'll get to see my dad again. But that idea, that family thing, comes across very strongly in Thessalonica. Like a child, like a nursing mother, like a father. That's, that's what characterizes a real Christian congregation, I believe. Like a father dealing with his own children. 
um, as, uh, let's move on for time. Love's actions, um, the efforts involved, someone mentioned already, there's a great deal of effort in loving one another. Um, depth doesn't come through just time. I think there's a, sometimes a misunderstanding. If I belong to this church long enough, I'll get deep relationships. There's no connection between time and depth. No automatic connection. Remember, Paul was only there three weeks. That was not very long to develop the kind of depth that we see. It wasn't about the time. It was about the investment. It was about the effort of love. And if I can say this, I know love sometimes, love is a feeling on some levels, but it is also primarily a commitment. I will love you, whether you love me or not. I will love and forgive you when you hurt me and we'll resolve it, we'll get it healed. Um, I will love you when it's hard and when it's easy. And I'll love you on Sunday mornings and I'll love you on Mondays and Tuesdays. Love's actions involve a lot of effort. As somebody mentioned, only Satan could get in the way of him seeing his brothers and sisters. That's quite a high bar. Uh, I let quite a lot of other things get in the way. Uh, it's raining. Uh, I'm a bit tired. Uh, you know. So, love's actions. Um, my old friend Steve, I mentioned, I won't talk about that again. I've talked about him before. Do more and more. It's interesting that the church in Thessalonica, he says, is a model. And often in teaching series or a sermon about this church, the title is whatever it is, and then a subtitle, The Model Church. Because they are a model to all the churches in the area, verse, eight, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, a model to all the believers. But even though they're a model, even though you could say they're setting the standard for other churches in the region, in Macedonia, even though that's the case, he says, I urge you, and it's a very strong word in the Greek. It's not like it would be a nice idea. It's like, come on, come on, you, you can do this. You need to do this. I urge you to do so more and more. I think that's a really good call for us. In this church in Watford, we have some, I think, some significant strengths. I don't mean gifts, although we have that. I mean, I think we have some spiritual strengths. I think loving is one of them. I think we have a good number of spiritual strengths. But we're not Jesus yet, right? We've got still quite a way to go. So what Paul is saying is, I commend you. I'm really grateful for you. Thank you for being a model. You're inspiring other churches. But you can grow some more. And so can we. And I wonder what, in your opinion, those areas might be. Maybe we'll talk in the fellowship about that afterwards, if you like. Uh, faith, hope, and love. That's where we began. That's where we will end. Faith, hope, and love. If we live a life characterized by faith, characterized by love, and characterized by hope, then we will be a beacon. This church will be a beacon. We will be personally the beacons of light that we can be to reveal the king and his kingdom to the world that we've talked about. If you like, you could say this. Any church that's God-focused or God-aware, that's relationship-based, that lives faith, love, and hope will be unstoppable. That's, I think that's, history bears this out scripturally and beyond that. A church that's God-focused, relationship-based, will witness Christ to the world. It will be unstoppable. It will never lose hope. No reason for us to ever lose hope. Whatever's happening with Inflation, whatever's happening in Ukraine, whatever's happening in your family with bereavements, some of us have suffered recently, 
Whatever's happening in your relationships, even in church, that sometimes are troubled, let's face it, we get on each other's nerves from time to time. Whatever's happening between churches, sometimes there's not the kind of unity and love we'd like to see, and that would be good. But whatever's happening in those spheres and others, if we commit here, if we commit to be God-aware and God-focused, if we commit to be relationship-based, that kind of Christ-like love, then God will still do his work here. It's not so much we will be unstoppable, more that we will allow God to do his work. We won't stop him from doing his work. And we will live with a sense, a powerful sense of hope. And all of this is only possible because of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to take bread and wine now. Because we're going to be reminded that this isn't about you and me in the end. And whether you agree with everything I've said or not, or you feel up to it or not, in the end, it is God that makes it work. And it's because of Jesus coming and dying and being resurrected that we have faith and that we know how to love. And we have the strength to love and we live a life of hope. We live a life of hope because the tomb is empty. Sin has been defeated, done away with. Death has been defeated. There is no victory for the grave. There's victory in Christ. That's why we live with it. And I trust and believe that we can live this way as a church because of what Jesus has done.